guys, welcome to Rankin' Vile, the podcast ranking every single horror movie ever made. And on this episode, uh, we are delighted uh, to be joined uh, by Jonathan Sims and Ben Meredith from Rusty Quill. Hello. Hello. Uh, it is wonderful to have y'all on the program, uh, especially Rusty Quill and Magnus Archives in, uh, in particular. I, I love, it's one of the things that's kind of gotten me through this uh, pandemic. So I'm, it's, it's, it's extremely surreal to, to be able to have you guys on the show. So thank you so much for coming on. Well, I mean, thank you for inviting us. It's really cool yeah, to be it's here. It's a pleasure. I mean, I've, I've had uh, you guys almost constantly in my ears uh, while I've been doing DIY. Uh, I've slammed through, I think, 83 episodes of Rank and Vile in the last month and a half, two months. <laughs> Good oh, I've been falling behind on all of my podcasts. <laughs> my, my inclination is to apologize for some of the early episodes before we sort of figured out what audio was and how to do it, where it just sounded like we were having, like, payphone conversations in the middle of the night. Not going to lie, um, I started on episode 50. <laughs> absolutely. Yep, yep, God bless. You You did the, you made the right call. Um, so a thing that I like to ask uh, guests who are uh, on the show for the first time is, what is uh, y'all's background in horror? Like, did you sort of grow up loving horror? Did you come to it later? Like, what's your, what's your uh, horror experience been like? Um, mine uh, is pretty sort of I've skirted around horror. I've never been a, a, a massive horror fan. I really cannot handle um jump scares very well and horror video mm-hmm. games are right out I, I cannot play alien isolation or it's ilk because i break out into a cold sweat and have to oh, put yeah. the game down and go outside um but no i mean i've 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 enjoyed a certain amount of horror uh movie nights with event horizon that kind of stuff um, oh yeah oh that's but yeah no I, I unfortunately I've, I've i've not really watched the classics or at least a lot of the classics. Not really many slasher films. I haven't watched The Thing, mm-hmm. which is ridiculous, and I should probably rectify that, especially given how much... Well, spoilers. <laughs> yeah, well, we're, we're, yeah. <laughs> I was like, I haven't watched The Thing. I just uh, Anyway. Uh, yeah, I... Predictably enough, maybe, for a horror writer, uh, I've always kind of had a soft spot for horror. Like, as a, as a kid, I, I've, I've said this on... A weird number of podcasts now. <laughs> uh, there's, there was a book. Uh, there was in the UK. There were some uh, Sonic the Hedgehog novelizations. Uh, one of which included uh, Sonic the Hedgehog in Castle Robotnik, <laughs> uh, which was like a Sonic horror novel. Incredible. Uh, where there were like robot versions of like Pinhead from Hellraiser <laughs> and like. <laughs> The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, except they were like the 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 Johnny Lightfoot, the but the rabbit had a chainsaw, Holy and like shit. Porker Lewis just had uh, was like Pinhead. So so there's just like a Sonic the Hedgehog type Leatherface with like a skin mask made up of like different animal, like different I anthropomorphic animals. I, th- I think animals. I have a vague memory that the Johnny Lightfoot with the chainsaw had a hockey mask on, so they'd kind of smooshed together. Oh yeah, uh, Leatherface and Jason Voorhees, I think. <laughs> think it's like as I, I haven't read this since i was like six or seven yeah I, um, I i didn't know i didn't know which uh property you were gonna say i did not expect sonic the hedgehog so i'm no, extremely excited about that it's 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 a weird one and as far as i'm aware it's only like it's a very uk specific thing mm-hmm. uh just because in the 90s like sega categorically won the console wars oh yeah in uh britain so sonic was like this huge thing um but yeah, uh, and since then, like it's just been kind of part of my life. Like I remember watching my dad play uh, Resident Evil Three uh, and playing it with him, and like then I, I, it was a long time before I could like properly stomach horror movies. Actually, mm-hmm. um, I think the first one I ever watched was Jeepers Creepers. 
Wow. Uh, and that was that wasn't until I was like fourteen years old or something like that. Like I was kind of home alone for one of the first times and it was like on a movie channel and I was like, I'm going to watch a horror movie. <laughs> and a scandal. like it wasn't it wasn't super scary, but I made it so scary, especially because the opening of that film is so slow. Mm-hmm. And I was just watching it being like, oh, they're driving along. <laughs> they're still driving along. <laughs> but something scary could happen any moment. Oh, no, they're getting tailgated by a monster. Like, he's mostly yeah. the monster. Like, the Jeepers Creepers monster is, above all things, a bad driver, I think, at the beginning of that movie. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like, the thing is, it, it's one of those ones where I, like, the monster is really good up until you, like, they actually become a monster, and then you're like, oh, you're just, you're, you're just, a, just a dude. Yeah, okay. it's it's like if the xenomorph had popped out in the first 15 minutes, like, hi, and you're like, well, that yeah. sort of takes away the mystery just a little bit, you know? <laughs> I love a horror movie that, like, really tries to commit to a really rubbish monster. Oh, yeah. Uh, there's one, I think I think it's called Darkness Falls, where the monster is, like, basically the Tooth Fairy. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. Yeah, and, like, just massacres a police station. Man, honestly, like, there's this early 2000s uh, area, I think, of horror where everybody was like, you know, it was past Scream, but it wasn't yet to Saw, and so everybody was just sort of like, Mm. what the fuck is horror doing now? And then this is what they landed on. Um, (laughs) But yeah. Um, So let's jump into the the first of uh, two movies we're doing today. Uh, We would have done uh, John Carpenter's The Thing uh, on this uh, episode if we had not, um, if if it had not previously been done on Rankin. Yeah, because, I mean, obviously it has because it's amazing. (laughs) Oh, it's so good. That's one of those movies that I I think it might actually be a perfect movie. Yeah, I think so. Like, I think if you define a perfect movie like I do, which is like a movie that could not possibly achieve the aims it sets for itself better mm-hmm. uh, like i think robocop for instance is a perfect movie oh yeah yeah it, it's the because like th- there is no way that movie could be better at what it is trying to do yeah like, it is achieving every aim it hits mm-hmm. perfectly and you can say like those those aims are a bit are a bit silly <laughs> but it nails them, man, and that's that's Paul Verhoeven generally. Like, I I think it's the the Roger Ebert uh, critique of like, what is this movie trying to do, and how well does it accomplish that? Yeah, like, no, I and agree. It, if it just yeah, he he completely understands the the prompt. Um, the now so the the first movie we're uh, we're doing for this week uh, is uh, 1987's Prince of Darkness, directed by John Carpenter. Um, this is an odd movie, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. How would you how would you how would you describe the plot of uh, Prince of Darkness? So, uh, actually, you know what, Ben, you you hadn't seen it before, have you? No, no, I haven't, and uh, I I really liked it. I thought it was great. Um, I would describe it as Alice Cooper's spooky sleepover. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like, yeah. Uh, so Jesus was a space alien, um, yep. who yep. came down. To teach us all quantum physics, uh, so that we could fight Satan, mm-hmm. who is goo in a jar, uh, trying to bring back Satan's dad, the anti-god, from a mirror. And when it gets slow, Alice Cooper stabs a Poindexter with a bicycle. Yeah, that's True. that's what it is. He really is for no reason. He, he really is the toasty. Uh, he's the toasty guy from Mortal Kombat. I think in this movie. <laughs> 
Yeah, and then at some point they just sort of forget forget about him. They're like, oh, okay, well, I think we're done with Alice Cooper now. Well, yeah. Well, he got to stab a guy with a bike, you know. Well, I mean, yeah. Mission well, and of course, you know, Alice Cooper is a uh, uh, lord of the drifters. Like, he j- he's just sort of the, the captain of the scary drifter squad that is standing outside this building. Now, the, yeah, this movie does answer the age-old question, like, what if the devil was pudding? Um, and this movie, I feel like it is... <laughs> juggling so many different things where you've got uh, Victor Wong, who um, I knew as a kid uh, as the the grandpa from Three Ninjas. I fucking love, like, you know how people talk about, like, De Niro and um, Pacino in Heat? Like, are these two, like, greats, like, finally in a scene together? Like, to me, that is Donald Pleasance and Victor Wong just having these incredibly intense scenes together. Yeah. Because these are, like... Just two of my absolute favorite ridiculous B movie actors. Yeah, just, they're both like, they're both huge. Like now we're talking actors, where it's like a character actor that shows up in a thing and instantly, you know, it's like how in the other movie we're talking about uh, in the mouth of madness, like David Warner pops up and you're like, all right, mm-hmm. now we're fucking cooking. Yeah, and it's like he doesn't understand theology, he doesn't understand quantum physics, but they are going to talk so <laughs> intensely about nonsense to each other that. Ooh, you just feel it. They're also going to fall asleep on their own while everyone else is getting murdered. Victor Wong fell asleep uh, when Donald Pleasance was there, and he woke up, and Donald Pleasance was like, "Did you have dreams?" Yes, the dream. <laughs> <laughs> dreams are definitely technically a part of this movie, where it's like, you know what? Fuck it. Time We're also travel. adding like astral projection yeah, on the year nineteen ninety nine, no less. Of uh, the future, the future year one nine nine nine. <laughs> yeah, like Victor Wong's character in this movie, who is a I, he's a professor of quantum physics, and he gets this really incredible monologue to start, uh, where he is just in front of a gr- uh, he's in front of a college he's a college professor, and he's in front of a class of people who are I want to say forty five years it old was ridiculous. each. Ridiculous. Um, when he, uh, the main uh, main character just turns up looking like a tired cop with his yeah. moustache. Well, like, I mean, yeah, but how many movies, how many movies Oof. are brave enough, except for Tom Selleck, to have a romantic lead with a big bushy moustache? <laughs> Name me one other movie. It, it, speaking of John Carpenter, it kind of made me think of, like, Tom Adkins in Halloween yeah. 3, where it's just like, you get a scene of him making out with someone, and it's like, you just, that moustache is doing so much heavy lifting here. Um... And Brian, uh, the mustache guy, he is meant to be a romantic lead in this movie, but he has the worst vibes I want to say anywhere. Oh, uh, mm. I'll, I'll be honest. Like this is this is such a thing with John Carpenter. I find like there'll be like he's a great director, and you'll have so much fun, and then like there'll just be a character whose vibes are all off, and suddenly say something like absolutely horrendous out of nowhere that doesn't connect to anything. You're like. Why did you say that? Yeah, just like a weird misogynist thing. Like he also now, and the thing with John Carpenter, I've, I'm going to say a thing and see if it's true, right? Uh, John mm-hmm. Carpenter is uninterested in romance in his movies. I would say yes. Uh, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'd probably go a step further and to say that, like, weirdly, because we're 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 talking about these two because they form with the thing, uh, what's known as the Apocalypse mm-hmm. trilogy, which is a sort of an unofficial trilogy. They're not directly connected they weren't made one after the other but they are all john carpenter movies that deal broadly with the idea of the end of the yeah. world um and of the three the, the thing is far and away the best 
Oh, easily. Oddly enough, the fact that they live is not part of the Apocalypse Quadrilogy is strange to me. I don't know. Like, I mean, they live... It's not... It's about a change. It's about, like... Because, like, the world has kind of, in some ways, ended pre-movie. And then it's, like, upturned at the end. But in many ways, I kind of feel that the fact that everyone in the thing is a dude kind of plays to John Carpenter's strengths Mm -hmm. because it means he can't do anything really weird with the female characters. (laughs) Yeah, well, and of course, you know, like, with the thing, he sort of mentioned, you know, because when, you know, somebody pointed out, like, wow, this is a pretty dude-heavy movie, and he was just like, look, if I had a, a, a lady on, on this cast, the audience would be waiting for, like, McCready or whoever to have a romance with her. I'm interested in a bunch of dudes dying in the Arctic. This just fundamentally does not interest me. Um, and, you know, Catherine, the, 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 the lady uh, who is the other lead in uh, Prince of Darkness, they, Brian and Catherine have zero chemistry in a way I really love. And I feel like it's that his mustache is just the least erotic thing anybody has ever personally cultivated <laughs> on their face. Um, and yeah, and all of these students are like 50. Uh, and they all decide that they're going to hole up in a, is it a monastery? It's, a, it's an old church, I think. St. Goddard's, right? Yeah, yeah, that sounds right. Yes. And now I, I think this is meant to be a sort of... Um, an academic wager between Victor Wong and Donald Pleasance, and it's meant to, because Donald Pleasance plays a priest. Who has found out about a sect of the Catholic Church so secret the Vatican doesn't know about it. (laughs) (laughs) But also have apparently been looking after uh, Goo Satan in a, like, run-down L.A. church for the last 2,000 years or something. I don't know how they moved him there. Yeah. I don't know, in a truck, mate. Like, (laughs) he's a tub of goo. (laughs) A really leaky tub of goo. Yeah, yeah. He is transportable via super soaker. And he is at many points in this movie. (laughs) (laughs) Holy shit. It is just hachi machi. So we get, uh, you know... They're they're all in this building and they're trying to. Do we know what the 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 essence of the study they're conducting is? Like, what's their goal? Well, so science. I think what I think my so my read of it is that Donald Pleasance is like, oh shit, Satan slime is waking mm-hmm. up. I really need to figure out what's going on. Let's get some scientists here to like just analyze the Satan slime and figure out what's what's going down. Because because I think wasn't the whole like because because of Alien Jesus coming back to teach right. us physics. There's a part I think that Donald Pleasant says that part of the Brotherhood of Sleep's thing is that he's giving us or Alien Jesus is giving us science so that one day we'll develop science sophisticated enough to deal with the Satan slime. So yeah. maybe he's like, oh oh no, I have to get scientists here to see see if we've got the science yes. have we got science now? for it yet because yeah. it, it's time yeah. this is Here this he comes. is definitely john carpenter on his third bong rip being like oh I <laughs> being like all right guys it. like it's so it's so ambitious mm-hmm. that's and, and i think that's the thing i respect the shit out of that like whatever else about this movie that works or doesn't work this is john carpenter going for it in a way that i just i i have yeah. to salute um because you know we're, we're dealing with the idea of not only is the goo Satan, it's not actually Satan, it is anti-God. And he's, like, trying to talk about matter and anti-matter? Yeah, it's, uh, it, it, like, John Carpenter fundamentally has discovered quantum physics, <laughs> does not understand it, but 
kind of thinks it could be really scary. Like it, <laughs> it fascinates me because it's like you sometimes get horror short stories which are kind of trying to do with like philosophical concepts or like dark stuff what a lot of sci-fi a lot of hard Mm sci-fi does with like speculative fiction and so you get sort of like speculative philosophy almost and it's like john carpenter wants to do that yeah yeah that's but fundamentally he doesn't actually understand the science or the theology so he just has some possessed people stabbing you with a bicycle (laughs) and satan slimes you and possesses you yeah, that's pretty much it. And, like, we should all be so lucky as to have our, like, b- bizarre pontification on stuff we don't totally understand that at least has an Alice Cooper song on the soundtrack. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it feels like such a metaphor for the movie. Like, that bit where uh, the, like, uh, possessed curly-haired woman I've, whose name I've blanked on is staring out at um, Doucheman, uh, <laughs> who is in the parking lot. Oh, Wind- Wyndham. Wyndham, yeah. there we are. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and Wyndham's in the parking lot, and they're staring at each other, and he's, like, clearly terrified, and there's just such a deep, unsettling vibe, and you're like, oh, no. And then a lady runs off and stabs him to death a bunch of times with scissors. Yeah. yeah. And, like, that feels so much like this movie, that there's, like, just so much, like, interesting stuff that they're trying to do, and then, at some point, John Gunder's like, and then some monster shit happens <laughs> I, the thing I love about that that whole scene is first of all that that um, forget the character and the actor but, but that woman the first woman who gets possessed her face her like wide eyed stare is in- incredible mm-hmm. absolutely love it um, but also with the scene where Wyndham gets stabbed where it's just like this really long wide shot and then the woman with the scissors like screams up Just from the right hand side of the screen and does like a long run to Wyndham to get to him with the scissors. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And actually and that stab, honestly, the 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 practical effects in this movie are fucking fantastic. Like Oh yeah. Uh, w- when Wyndham falls apart, that was Oof. surprisingly horrific. Yeah, and then when, you know, Catherine has gone full like skinless Julia from Hellraiser, mm. like she that makeup, the the skin the skinless makeup is fantastic and I feel like uh for a movie like this, you really need to make sure that the effects look like a million bucks because otherwise it's just going to look like shit on top of like okay, look. It's me, your friend John Carpenter. I've just read half a book about quantum physics and I'm blazed out of my gourd, but I invited some really great special effects artists to illustrate my philosophy shoebox diorama. Yeah, I mean, this is the thing. Like, even when he is at his most ambitious and also his most, like, completely out of his depth in the story he's trying to tell, Mm -hmm. he's still, at the end of the day, like a really good horror filmmaker. Oh yeah, yeah. Like a lot of the and a lot of the scares in this movie really, really connected for me. Um, I think I also there's a connection to the thing that I that I uh, made sure to write down, which was the fact that uh, a character says faith is a hard thing to come by these days, which is a callback to trust is a hard thing to come by these days from the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like so frequently with John Carpenter, there's an anger to his work that I really love, where it's always like he's starting with a question that he's mad about, where he's like. Did any of you guys ever hear about this quantum physics shit and just him coming in super <laughs> aggro yeah. and wanting to make a movie about it? And I feel like that was, you know, him with the thing being like, you hear about this Cold War shit? And it's, yeah. Yeah, like, it, it is, 
one of the things I always really love about John Carpenter is that like he's he's he always feels very present in his movies in that sense. Mm-hmm. Like it feels they never feel like he is crafting them in a way that is like, well, this is like the most effective thing, or this is what conveys my message. It always feels much more like, the fuck is this? What's going on here? That's, yeah, okay. Then then she fucking stabs him. And you're like, what? why, John? Because it's going to make a great movie. Shut up. Uh, and it usually does. He's totally right. It it it's a it's a fun movie. I think also the mirrors in this movie we do at least get the cool. I mean, I don't know. I'm always uh, a huge mark for um sort of not quite sequel setups, but like you know sort of thriller endings where you think everything is fine and then at the very end you know you're sort of left to wonder if every you know if the monster is defeated and whether we can go back to you know our normal suburban lives. Um, and you know we get uh, Mustache uh, Brian. I think his name is Mustache Brian at the very end of the movie. You know, he's like reaching out to a mirror, at, uh, and then right before his fingers either connect with the mirror or go through it to the uh, the other side. You know, we cut to black, and we're left with the ambiguity of: Is Satan still goo? It is the question: Is Satan still goo? I also love. I actually really like the mirror effect, like the the like hand going into water thing. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Like it's. You know, the visual effects, especially for 1987, I think a lot of visuals were not uh, particularly uh, kind in a historical context. Like, you sort of look back and it looks like garbage, but yeah, like, this movie, it it doesn't know, I think, quite what it wants to say, but it's important that it say it. Yeah, like, it doesn't know what it wants to say, but it does know it wants Donald Pleasance and Victor Wong to say the shit out of it. Yeah, and Donald Pleasance, I feel like when he shows up for a movie, he really shows up. And it's like, especially after all of those Halloween sequels, like, Donald Pleasance is so good at what he does that he can phone it in. And I think the fact that he doesn't phone it in for this is really remarkable. Yeah, it's... I also love, like, just going back to the mirror, it it feels so much like the rest of this movie that it's... that two things strike me. The Mm -hmm. first is that, like... John Carpenter has this whole, like, accidentally Gnostic idea of, like, anti-God and, like, or anti-matter, like, particles, subatomic particles, and, you know, you got this anti-God. And then, mm-hmm. so the question is, like, well, okay, so where do we find anti-God? And he's like, in a fucking mirror, mate. <laughs> Obviously. Because the mirror's the anti-world, because it's reverse, isn't yeah. it? It's oh. basically the... Star Trek, everyone's got moustaches, bizarro dimension. No, exactly. It's like it's like just take care of this. Obviously, it's the fucking mirror. Everything's backwards. Man, that's you know what a huge huge bong rip sound. Man, yeah, like that's exactly yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's I I'm, I I love that shit. I, I I love it. The other thing I love about the mirror. Sorry, just because I'm I'm so there's that particular moment with the mirror where she's got her hand in and she's starting to pull anti-god out of the mirror. Did you see the hand that comes out? It's like a red devil hand. It's like the most classic (laughs) red devil hand. She's pulling Tim Curry from Legend out of it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
this dark this dark kool-aid man reboot is really something (laughs) it's just like for like there's such high such high-minded concepts behind this like this anti-god this like saying what if the what if the thing that created the universe was both evil and in a mirror and then it's 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 just a satan it's just a the most bog standard fucking satan just being pulled out of a glowing mirror I, I do really enjoy the the kind of combination with the film because, like, I, I think it was made on a shoestring, basically, wasn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah, yeah. Um, and it, it's a combination of like incredibly in, ingenious effects, like with the Satan goo, with them filming with the camera upside down and then playing the water in reverse. They were pouring it on the floor to make it look like it was pouring up into the ceiling and stuff. And like when Wyndham's body falls apart, no idea how they did that. I assume it was like some... they hollowed out a man, Ben. What are you talking about? Ah, uh, <laughs> for realism, yeah. loads of bugs. I, I, th- I think it's probably just they stacked up some, some buckets on a suit and just poked it over, but it looks so good when it goes down. But then there's just the hokiest crap with, like, yeah, the, the, the kind of Halloween store devil hand. And then when um, I've looked up, it's Anne Howard as Susan, I think, is the first the first oh, woman to Susan. get possessed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But she, when she kills Dirk Blocker in the, like, the jar chantry or whatever it is and she just does the lamest kind of like grabs the side of his head and twists it very slightly and like oh his neck broke and it's just the most unconvincing just he goes oh no i'm dead now i'll fall over goodbye (laughs) yeah yeah i honestly like the the red devil thing is for me such a part with john carpenter because like it's sort of connective tissue for me with this is also the guy who did um the the fog and just had like ghost pirates where he's just like he's just excited (laughs) about some frankensteins and, you know, if he can drop some fucking knowledge on you about, like, you know, the, the string theory, then, you know, sure, great. But he's he's primarily <laughs> down for Frankensteins, I feel. Yeah, it's like, it's this thing of, like, he's gonna, he's gonna read a little bit about, he's gonna, he's gonna skim the wiki on string theory, get freaked the hell out, and then he'll come to make the film, and they'll be like, okay, well, I guess I'm gonna kill some people with string then. <laughs> Yeah, that's what it is. Just immediately he's like, okay, string. What can you do with string? And then he just sort of goes, make a garot? I don't know. Here's the devil? Like, yeah. Yeah. He's he's fantastic. And I've got a ser- I've got, I've got so much respect for that in a in a weird way, like not getting too hung up on the high minded stuff and just being like, Well, but also we're making a we're making a fucking movie here, so let's just do it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean and this is the guy who, you know, made the fucking iconic score for the first Halloween movie entirely because they didn't have a composer and he was like, well, fine, I'll do it. And he just happened to make that score because there was nobody else to do it. Like, this is a guy who will get the movie done by God. Um, yeah, it's a good point that the soundtrack for this film is is excellent. I know oh, it's so good. It's, it's just, yeah, long synthy, very 80s kind of atmospheric stuff, but it... It draws you in so well. Okay. When he's doing their montages, like a lot of the film kind of takes place in these montages where you've got like synth bit mm-hmm. scene of like Victor Wong telling you reality is bullshit. Synth bit. Uh, Donald Pleasance like just weeping in a church. Synth bit. Uh, like <laughs> Yeah, the synth is the through line, I think. Like I, I, I cannot think of any other filmmaker that you get such a like a fuck yeah this film is starting when (laughs) the john carpenter movie starts there is always that musical like hey the movie's fucking starting (laughs) shut up yeah yeah and like the 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 melody of like the main theme from prince of darkness has been stuck in my head for like the last two days like it's 
Yeah, it, it really, really elevates things. And I hate to use the word elevate because it, you know, sounds pretentious. But I, you know, I, I the, the movie Halloween without that theme would still be a great movie. But like, it's kind of like how I feel like uh, I've got this thing where I wonder if the because the theme from Game of Thrones was so cool, it fooled everybody into thinking the show was good. And I mean, yeah, over time, everybody sort of slowly realized, like, wait a minute, that's the theme of a much better show. <laughs> But the Faustian Nonsense Network, it doesn't even have to be a podcast. If you have a creative project that you want to monetize and get the most out of, Faustian Nonsense can make it happen. Come join our community and let's build something great together. All right. So looking at our list, uh, if you uh, so uh, a place that I feel good about starting is at uh, number 55. We have uh, Event Horizon, um, which is. You know, obviously, classic space horror movie. What What do y'all think? Like, which Which would you give the uh, the advantage to? It's tricky on the quantum physics and devils scale. <laughs> it's it, it's tricky because the thing is, this this is sitting squarely in the section of the list where I haven't. There's a lot of movies I haven't seen. Mm-hmm. Like most of the ones higher, I'm like I've seen these, and a lot of the ones lower I've seen. But at the moment, yeah. <sighs> Trouble is, I also love Event Horizon, mm-hmm. and mm. I think. Event Horizon maybe does, maybe gets what it's going for a bit better. I don't know. Uh, is it not more? I, I, hmm, this feels a bit more timeless. I think like Event Horizon is so. I mean, this movie is very eighties, but Event Horizon is is so kind of like, yeah, it's the nineties and everything's grungy. Um, yeah, yeah, like I, it, it, oh, it's a real, it's a yeah. real tricky one. Yeah. Um, I might put it above for class. Yeah, yeah, definitely. like it, it's just like I think the thing is, Prince of Darkness is m- a much much messier movie, mm-hmm. but in a mu- in a very compelling way. I think. I think I always respect stuff when it it can't do meaningless excess, and even if it doesn't fully achieve it. That they were trying really hard to do yeah. the thing that they were doing. Whereas mm-hmm. there's stuff in Event Horizon which is definitely like. Eh, they just wang some stuff in because whatever. Yeah, there are. You're yeah. right. There are a few. There are a few deaths in Event Horizon that are just like. Oh, I guess we gotta kill them off a bit. Uh, but also. Yeah. Uh, oh, sorry. I I just I just uh, I was just thinking about Event Horizon and then I I, I smiled because I thought of Sam Neill again. <laughs> Hell yeah! Please. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I just I just really like Sam Neill. He's lovely. He's just um, fantastic, isn't he? Yeah. If you if you, do you, do you follow his Twitter? I do. It's primarily him posting about pigs and his yeah, farm, just, which is just, just you know, just his wine and his pigs, and just <laughs> being an old man in New Zealand. It's great. Living the life of uh, Riley. But, yeah, he won. I think. I think he did. Um, but yeah, okay. Let's 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 slot it in just above Event Horizon. I think so too. Right above now, and the thing about Event Horizon, I do love. I mean, the the problem that I have is, uh, you know, I I think I want to put it above Event Horizon, but. Only by a little bit, because I'm like, on one hand, Event Horizon is, uh, what if opening a wormhole literally opens a portal to Christian hell? Um, yeah, like, the thing is, Event Horizon is a movie that I love the concept of, mm-hmm. because it's space horror, like, the whole, like, uh, you know, the spaceship is alive, the the portal thing. Like, that. that's mm-hmm. a very, that's the sort of thing, like, oh, I want more horror movies to, like, mine from that sort of that sort of vein mm-hmm. uh, and also i love the fact that the characters in event horizon are broadly competent like oh yeah the fact the fact that lawrence fishburne lawrence fishburne actually is another actor in the donald pleasance uh victor wong sort of 
uh, Ooh, yeah. sort of sphere of actors you put in to take a ridiculous premise and fucking sell it. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, because absolutely. Because they say it, you're like, oh, shit. <laughs> this spaceship is Satan now. It's like, well, goddammit, <laughs> well, God I guess the Christian hell exists and you can get there by folding space in half. And that's just, yeah. the, that's just the world you and live in I, now. And I, I honestly love the fact that Lawrence Fishburne says, let's blow up this ship and leave at the exact moment, like the very first moment, it is justifiable for that character to make that decision. There's no yes. like... There's no, like, fictional... And it's too late, but it's not his fault. Like, he mm-hmm. does the right thing. He plays that situation correctly, and it's not he, his fault that it doesn't it doesn't work out. He really does. And the other thing that I love about Event Horizon is that, to your point about everybody being competent, I love that, you know, they're all on this haunted ship, and they're all sort of, you know, tripping balls and hallucinating the worst possible things in the world. The thing I love that they do is that they all compare notes about it, because... Yeah. So frequently in a haunted house movie, it's like nobody nobody ever says like, hey, did anybody else see the decapitated lady waltzing around the living room? No, just me? Okay. Like, the fact that they're all like, hey, I hallucinated my dying son. Isn't that fucked up? And everybody got to yeah, sort I'll of... Yeah, I'll be honest, even in Prince of Darkness, there's a lot of things where, like... I mean, they compare notes about the dream, but there's a lot of stuff that they're all seeing that's like, do, do you not want to like, mention the... Yeah, yeah, completely. Like, it's, yeah. But honestly, between that, I feel like I want to give the edge, yeah, to um, Prince of Darkness purely yeah, because think, it's just... I think just... the thing is, because of, because of those two things, I forget that Event Horizon is not actually a, a great movie mm-hmm. as a movie. Oh, like, yeah. Yeah, it's because I love it conceptually, and I love Lawrence Fishburne in it. Mm-hmm. Like, is it a, is it a good movie? No. Is it a great movie? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, uh, so right above Event Horizon at number fifty four is uh, the original A Nightmare on Elm Street. Have both of y'all seen it? I have not. I have. Uh, I enjoyed it. Uh, I haven't seen it for a long time. It's a hard. I'm I'm noticing that. Scream is just above Nightmare on Elm Street. Mm-hmm. I might sandwich Prince of Darkness just between the two because I think that like a Nightmare on Elm Street, like Freddy Krueger's an iconic character. Oh sure, but I feel like he's kind of an iconic. No, the original is pretty good though. Yeah, he did, he did sort of turn into Bugs Bunny later on. I think. Yeah, like I I don't know. It just it feels like Nightmare on Elm Street didn't really try to do anything except introduce a new like slasher mm-hmm. and turn johnny depp into a blood geyser <laughs> which is uh, which, always like, a noble a noble undertaking also um <laughs> but like whereas scream like did very much like step up uh like there, there was there was definitely like a, there is definitely a pre and post scream uh, yeah world yeah where, like, A Nightmare on Elm Street is part of an early 80s, like, sort of slasher milieu where, like, Scream in 1996, this was Wes Craven, like, over a decade later with, uh, you know, yeah. a, a, a Kevin Williamson script going, like, hey, this is going to be horror for the next six years. Yeah, and, and I think that, like, the thing is, like, the fact that so many of those uh, slashers from those early 80 movie, early, I think the fact that so many of those killers from those early 80s slasher movies have become, like, iconic pop culture things Mm -hmm. sometimes disguises the fact that actually the movies were fine you know (laughs) yeah yeah completely um so i feel good about that so coming in at our new number 54 uh above uh a nightmare on street from 1984 and scream 
is John Carpenter's Prince of Darkness. I, I feel pretty good about it. Yeah, I feel good about it. Like, I feel like it may give the impression that it is a good movie, which is not technically true. I also think, I, I think it is another one where it's like, it's not a good movie, but it is a great movie. Mm-hmm. You know, like, it, yeah, it's getting so many points for ambition. Yeah. And it's like, so somehow, like, it's less than the sum of its parts, but the sum of its parts is still a lot. And so you're able to sort yeah. of, you know, look through it and go like Donald Pleasance is killing it. The soundtrack is killing it. We got Alice Cooper here. Nothing wrong with that. Like, yeah, it's He's brought his own bike. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that, that I, I was I was having a little mooch about and that is his actual own bike prop from his oh, stage shows. Fantastic. So oh, it's just lovely. like, I'm Alice Cooper. I've brought a bike. I'm going to kill a nerd I'm with gonna... it. <laughs> <laughs> Although actually, there is there is one thing I do wanna wanna shout out, which is something I don't like about Prince of Darkness, mm-hmm. uh, which is broadly how it treats the I believe what it calls street people. Uh, yeah, it's pretty it's pretty it gross is, on that vector. It is a kind of shitty thing where like oh yeah the the like Satan is waking up the Satan goo is waking up and it's drawing things towards it you know things like worms and bugs and schizophrenics uh, and it's <laughs> yeah. it's just like. That's that's a that's a really shitty thing to like. That's hmm. That's not that's not an okay. That's not yeah. an okay decision yeah, to really have made. It, it, it did leave a bit of a weird taste in my mouth when it was sort of like, all right, a huge own on the homeless, I guess, John Carpenter. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, Which yeah, is yeah. Weird because like they a, live, uh, for, they live is like kind of the the flip side. It's all about mm-hmm. like the 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 underclass, but. Yeah, just just a just a like a a weird kind of shitty decision um, mm-hmm. to to have made that like for me it was just like oh, all right yeah yeah you're like listen I just John I just wanted to watch a movie where Satan is goo and quantum physics are God can we not can we do without the weird anti homeless subplot like I'm just trying to have a good time John like um I'll, I'll be honest that. It, it does feel very John Carpenter, though. Like, it feels like John Carpenter's been around L.A. and, like, been noticing that there's a lot of... Because it's because it's the mid-'80s, been mm-hmm. noticing that there's, like, a lot of homelessness around, like, L.A. at the time. And so his dual reactions to it are, like, well, let's set a movie about, like, this underclass. And let's also say, what if they were controlled by Satan? <laughs> Yeah, that's so. You're saying that he was like driving past Skid Row in DTLA and was just like, ah, a th- bong rip, a thought stir. Yeah, like, what? and he was, and he was both like, ah, and also, ah, and so he made both of those movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's duality right there, honestly. Um, so let's jump into the second movie we're doing. God damn, uh, in the mouth of madness, which is somehow from 1994. Yeah, I know. I was. I was like, wait, this wasn't one of his late eighties ones. No, it's 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 arguably his last good movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Because like, what? I mean, what's even after this? Like John Carpenter's Vampires, which is like, mm-hmm. yeah, and then Ghosts of Mars, which you know, yeah. This is like the last movie where it was. Uh, you had a palpable sense that this was John Carpenter who likes making movies is making a movie. Like after yeah. you know, I think because John Carpenter now pretty much what he does is hang out and play video games because he doesn't really care to make movies anymore, and God Which bless is, him for it. Yeah, uh, and and music he makes a lot of music actually. If, if you if you listen to his lost themes, mm-hmm. 
Yeah, he does a lot of synth, that, oh, which is fantastic. Um, but in the Mouth of Madness, like, this is, you're totally right. Like, it, this feels, uh, there's a, a sort of palpable late 80s-ness to this movie and the way it's shot and the stuff it's, you know, addressing. Well, the, 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 yeah, just with the um, the opening theme and the opening credits over, like, the, the print works with that guitar. And it was it's definitely just like, this is a mid-80s. This is just the mid-80s. <laughs> Yeah, and especially because, you know, with the mid-80s horror fiction boom, like, so obviously this is a movie that is riffing on all manner of things with Stephen King and Lovecraft and pulp horror, um, but it revolves around uh, the work of uh, pulp horror author Sutter Kane, who the narrative informs us uh, sells even more than Stephen King, parentheses, who's Christine John Carpenter directed in the early 80s. Um, Which I I love because it's like... If you're going to explicitly in the movie call out that he is that Stephen King does exist in this universe mm-hmm. and he and and this this guy is selling more than him, don't then make your character don't then make that character's name obviously a riff on Stephen King. Yeah, Sutter Kane really is Keevan Sting, where it's just like you know when you're <laughs> yeah. a, a, a pulp horror writer who lives in New England, don't worry about it. Uh, excuse me, it's Hobbs End, not Castle Rock. Thank you very much. It, uh, it's it's literally like if they if like there was there was a movie about the like the great actor uh, like so the super famous actor Crom uh, Twos, and then there was a scene where they literally said. He's even better than Tom Cruise. And you're like... <laughs> With a soundtrack by Callus Uber. Like, he's... Now, and it's also incredible because a thing that I appreciate about John Carpenter uh, is that he's not afraid to have a protagonist who's just a real piece of shit. Mm. Um, and Sam Neill in this movie, he's just... He's just a bad person, I think, oh, in a lot of powerful ways. powerful asshole. But, like, I um, also like that John Carpenter knows... To balance it with the natural just lovableness of Sam Neill, because like it does reach a level which is just at the edge of like tolerable protagonist. Yeah, that's exactly it. Like if because and and obviously this is a year after Goddamned Jurassic Park, and so you know we're all fond of Doctor Alan Grant who's losing his mind in Lovecraft Land. Like <laughs> he, you know. This is why it doesn't quite work in, you know, even like in They Live, like Rowdy Roddy Piper, like there's a lovableness to that guy that makes it work in a way that like John Carpenter's Vampires is just like, no, James Woods is a piece of shit and you can see it. Yeah, it really does. It is like, oh, John Carpenter making like the the anti-vampire Gestapo with someone who we now know but could kind of tell then is a big fascist. Uh, It just, it just feels... It, it just and they're all just being horribly misogynist about everything all the time uh, on behalf of the Vatican, uh, which is n- at no point examined. It's it just feels grimy in a really unpleasant yeah. way. You're totally right, and and also yeah, I mean he's and like James Woods. Well, anyway, so in the mouth of madness, <laughs> like we get you know this uh, literary agency, which by the way. Um, upon actually working in publishing since the last time I, I watched this movie when I wasn't working in publishing, I'm quietly watching everything with like, wait, you can't kill your editor before you get fucking line edits back, Sutter. Like, what are you doing? Uh, and no, you know, the head of this editing it from the inside. <laughs> from the inside. It's like, so is that a dev edit? Um, we get Charlton Charlton Goddamned Heston as the head of this literary agency. I can't tell 
if he's phoning it in in this role or if he's giving it his best. It's so hard because because he's out of nowhere. Like I I don't understand why he's in that role, and it like it kind of works, but at the same time I feel like you would like you could get just as good a performance from another actor that wasn't making me go why are you Charlton Heston? <laughs> yeah, completely. Like he doesn't he didn't need to be Charlton Heston, but he is whether we whether we like it or not. Uh, and he sends uh. Samuel's character, and I'm sorry, I'm blanking on her name. The um, the Linda lady? Styles and Julie yeah, the Styles. Um, thank you. And she, you know, her, what they're they're trying to kind of give us like a moonlighting thing between the two of them, but it doesn't quite work because he's awful, and incredibly inappropriate flirting when when they've just met and then they kind of just have this kind of slightly tetchy conversation and they get to the lift and they both give each other fuck me eyes and it's like where did that come from what it's what, so what, like, like? The, it's so fascinating because like i feel like in prince of darkness like in in the thing so this this is an apocalypse trilogy like mm-hmm. thing so in the thing we get john carpenter doesn't do romance and it, it, it's all dudes fighting a space alien so <laughs> right um in prince of darkness we get john carpenter kind of has to try and do romance but the two leads have no chemistry and yeah. in, in the mouth of madness john carpenter kind of does a bit of sort of romance that is kind of weird because it's implied that it's sort of externally mind controlled on both parts by a writer mm-hmm. and they have energy they have chemistry but it is the weirdest fucking chemistry like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah when they so they you know styles and and sam neil uh, i'm just gonna call him sam neil um yeah. they get sent off on a uh, a snipe hunt basically uh looking for uh cash cow sutter kane who is you know also by the way did, did either of you get nostalgic for old horror paperback art looking at these sutter kane oh, editions have, have... why isn't Oh, why isn't the cover, the in in universe cover to In the Mouth of oh, Madness, God, not yeah. the film poster? And oh. <laughs> yeah, I just don't understand. It's so good. With, have you with, oh. have you actually gone on like because like all these all the all the book jackets are like online like images, and oh, it's like I, I, I spent like a good hour just like looking through the like the seven books of Sutter Kane, um, yeah, and they're oh, like legitimately quite good pastiches of like 80s era pulp paperback horror mm-hmm. um and like uh, uh, they've got they've got their they've got little pull quotes on the back and one of them was like once again kane has me sleeping with the lights on dr hannibal lecter md <laughs> god's sake john 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 no holy shit yeah this it's is like the this whisper is, in the uh, dark the walls have ears and then it's just like picture of like a tunnel with wall with ears on the walls it's it's something else <laughs> oh it's just fantastic i honestly it makes me really nostalgic for like when paper uh paperback horror had like the bumpy raised covers with mm. the yeah with the the mm. lettering um but what's also amazing about these uh covers which i could not stop yelling about this last night when i rewatched this uh, Sam Neill uh, gets a bunch of Sutter Kane paperbacks, and he's been made aware um, by both the news and by sort of local scuttlebutt about Sutter Kane that if you read his works, you know, it has a, a, a strange effect on some of Sutter Kane's less stable readers. Um, and, you know, like Sam Neill is no horror. Murder, fan. Like trying to axe murder Sam Neill. 
At a restaurant, yeah, in the middle of brunch, um, which is, yeah, that scene in, is incredible. And I love this, in The City, they never say it, I don't think they ever say it's New York, it's always referred to as The City, despite very obviously being Toronto again. <laughs> yeah, it's either Vancouver or Toronto standing in for Los Angeles and New York. <laughs> uh, and it's, you know, and so Sam Neill uh, loads up on a bunch of Sutter Kane paperbacks and, uh, you know, has some pretty bad dreams about a, a cop with a truncheon whose face is melting and just all manner of horrors. Um, but he decides to pull a Pepe Sylvia from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia board by randomly snipping off parts of those great pulp covers and creating a map? Well, it's not random. It's not random. The lines are on the art. The lines are hidden in the art, right? <sighs> yeah, you're right. You're right. And cre- Stupid. Yeah, creating a map of a county in a state. Although there's one, one part with that scene where I don't know if I really like it or uh, I'm like, oh, fuck off, John. When, because Sam Neill's, he wakes up and he wipes his face and he's got ink on his hands and he rubs ink into his eyes. And that's mm-hmm. when he makes, he realises the kind of, um, the collage that he's got to build. And it's like, oh, he's kind of internalised these books and they've got into his head. Ah. I actually really like that. I actually really liked that as a little bit of like like just taking the metaphor and making it it, it really worked yeah. for me and i'll be honest i fucking love this shit you know <laughs> oh yeah like, oh yeah I, i'm i'm not gonna lie i have thought very long and hard about whether it would be possible to do this sort of style of arg bullshit <laughs> i mean it, it's that's, not that's what it's I mean, well, that's what it is. It's like cosmic, like this, this narrative of, you know, I, it's one of my favorite things in horror is uh, prota- uh, gentle dirtbag protagonist uh, starts scratching at a scab and can't stop. And it eventually drives him crazy where like, mm. you know, you fall down that rabbit hole and you just, you take this to the end of the line and it ends fucking terribly for everybody involved. Um, Honestly, like cursed object scavenger hunt is one of my favorite subgenres <laughs> of horror. Like, mm-hmm. in it, in it's so weird because there's almost no actually good movies that do it. But, like, in the Mouth of Madness, like, The Ninth Gate, bad movie, but I still, I like, I'm, I'm still there for it. Uh, like, John Carpenter's Cigarette Burns from uh, Masters oh, of Horror. Oh, Masters of Horror. I love, I love uh, anything where, like, somebody's searching for an item and everywhere they go, the person who's possessed the item is, like, I don't know gruesomely killed everyone or is there in like uh, a, a weird den being like oh you don't know what you're seeking <laughs> yeah You'll it's fantastic this quest and like they never work <laughs> because nothing can ever actually live up to the, because you spend a ho- it's it's you just spend a whole movie stealing jeopardy from when they actually find it Mm-hmm. Which means that it can never actually live up to it when they do. Absolutely. But, like at the end of you know, Cigarette Burns, when you see like the, the the cursed movie, like you see stills from it or whatever, but that's less interesting than like Udo Kier is losing his shit because he watched the movie and yeah. he's disemboweled himself. Like it's always the effect on the people that's so much more interesting than the thing itself. Yeah. But at the same time, if you lean too far into that and like you don't deliver at the end of the movie, you go away being like, what the fuck? I didn't even see the movie. I didn't didn't even even see it. What? What? Yeah, completely. I wanted to disembowel myself because I'd seen the horrible movie. What? (laughs) 
I mean, that's the that's the true horror, isn't it? Like in the mouth of madness, uh, by, by the time he gets to Hobbs End looking for Sutter Kane, who's disappeared, we get um, now so much of this is like soaked through with Stephen King sort of small towns are scary. Um, we get this like palatial cathedral in this little little town. Mm. Um, and it's got like spires on the top, like it's the fucking Kremlin. Like it's these set pieces are amazing. Oh, and something on the door to this church that says, "Anyone who comes into this unholy place be damned forever." <laughs> yeah, which I, I kept expecting which for is... you know there to be like dust on top like... of it, and someone's gonna be like, "Oh, I thought it said this holy place." They blow it up. Ah, shit. Yeah, like, it's a weird thing to have on the door to a church, but okay. Yeah, they're, they're very consistent with their branding at the very least. Um, and now you you, so you you begin to slowly figure out that uh, th- th- this this movie answers the question, what if a hack horror writer was God? Um, and Sutter Kane, uh, as played by Neil Gaiman in this movie, um, <laughs> just, he's sort of, you know, you oh, find out that... Oh, Jürgen. Oh, uh, Jürgen. Yeah, yeah. Matt, what, which, by the way, what a great name. Um, yeah, I'll I'll be honest. I did steal it. <laughs> good, good. You did excellent. Um, I mean, he like this actor. His his presence on screen is bizarre. I think. Yeah, it, it's a really interesting one, and it becomes incredibly. Yeah, Jürgen Prochnow is uh, is his full name, uh, but it becomes to me incredibly funny uh, when you know just how much of like the most normal ass guy Stephen King is. Mm-hmm. Like, he's just the most unremarkable person. Like, as he's he's just some guy who writes very good horror books. But like, to see the fictionalized thing, which is like this sort of, yeah, just very much spooky Neil Gaiman vibes. But like, as an actual movie villain, it's like, oh. Stephen King fucking wishes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, and also, you know, it, it, I, I almost feel like with Sutter Kane, if he's supposed to be sort of Schmeven Schming, what if, you know, during this period, this was like his mid-80s coke period when he wrote the Tommyknockers and doesn't remember <laughs> writing it, where it's just like, <laughs> you've got me. Nothing makes sense in reality right now. Like, hamburgers are eating people. We've, you know, my, my laundry machine is singing to me. Like, if this had just been... I'm making know, maximum overdrive. <laughs> Sutter Kane's Maximum Overdrive. Oh yeah. God. Oh, oh, perfect. Um, now, this movie, I feel like uh, doing cosmic horror in a cinematic setting, I feel like it usually doesn't work for me because if you're going to take the, you know, the uh, ineffable, uh, you know, if you if you look at it, you'll lose your mind sort of cosmic horror stuff. It's why a lot of Lovecraft video games don't quite work because if you take, like, father dagon or something and give him you know pixels and hit points it somewhat takes away from the the sense of awe and terror one might have looking at an eldritch god but this i feel like this movie does a really good job of visualizing cosmic horror yeah i I think like yes and no because i think the bit where towards the the end um where he's being chased by the goopy train mm-hmm. um, is <laughs> oh, the goopy like, train. Mm-hmm. is really like the the monsters the the prop is incredible it's yeah. such a cool massive massive latex um, but I think it does kind of undermine the whole cosmic horror thing just you know because it, it's just tentacle face monsters the same but thing it's about also with definitely um, just dudes like shambling yeah. along after him mm-hmm. well it's like um, 
like Miss Pickman when she's in the basement, she's turned into a into a horror. Oh yeah, and it's just her kind of with two ventilation tubes on her arms, waggling them about. But it's I mean it's <laughs> yeah. filmed like the lighting's good enough that you're like okay no no this is this is kind of scary, but it is a little bit silly. Oh yeah yeah, yeah just, for sure it's so close and this feels like so much the whole movie like I I love in the mouth of madness but it is it's so ambitious and like it so shoots to be that five star perfect movie that every time it just misses the mark it feels like it crashes down mm-hmm. like i yeah. love the effects on the the horrible goopy chase but it it can't stop it looking like oh i'm going to get you <laughs> Um, yeah, it, it does chase. definitely look like he's being harassed by like Chucky, Ch- like Chucky Cheese uh, animatronics, <laughs> like yeah, in, in the it's... dark. Like, yeah, I would. Say, I think the most effective scare in in the film is probably the painting. Oh, the painting um, is so and good. it evolving. Yeah, it's fantastic. I actually was very quickly uh, like googling Mouth of Madness painting by online just because like <laughs> yeah. it looks it looks fucking great. Uh, now, which version do you get, or do you get a series where it evolves as you maybe walk through your house? Ooh, that's you get it like a like an old school Goosebumps cover where it's like that little holographic thing where the more you the more you yeah. move to the side, the more it morphs. Yes, just waggling your head <laughs> in front of your painting. I feel like this is so cool. Yeah, yeah. Is, now, the bit with the lady in the in the the basement with the waggling of the arms. This was actually the bit where everybody in my house like lost our shit because of just the big noodle arms. Like, mm. <laughs> yeah, like it, it it's ambitious, but it's it's uh, grasp uh, exceeds its reach. I think exactly. Yeah. And like the thing is, there are some really really good scares in it. Like the the bike. Oh yeah, really mm, good. Yeah, the like the the. A lot of the scenes in the in Sam Neill's like crossed up cell, uh, like very effective. Like there's a lot of really good stuff in it, but there are too many that just like it just doesn't hold together. There's too much stuff that just feels a bit silly. Like yeah. the bit where he keeps driving away and it keeps coming back. Like it's oh, too oh, on the oh, nose. Oh, I don't know. I'd really like that. That the he gets he gets there so quickly. Bill Murray's got nothing on him. He does it three <laughs> times, and he he makes the Groundhog Day realization. He's like, "All right, come on then, but I'll kill you all." But it's 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 slightly too much. Like it's the yellow glow. Like if he just kept driving away and kept coming back, like mm-hmm. that would work. But it's the fact that there's this yellow, and it's the same slightly overblown yellow effect, um, orange effect every time. Or the yeah. like the blue thing, or the like the. Did I ever tell you my favorite color was blue? It's like that's not scary, <laughs> Sutter Kane. I mean, that's but he's a hack writer. I, yeah, that's, well, you're is... totally right. Although just picture him leaning and going, "The color blue is a metaphor, actually." And then that's when Samuel starts <laughs> screaming at the top of his lungs. It's it's I'm like I I'm like, I I, uh, it's like, I get it, and he is a hack writer, but at the same time, like shoving a blue filter on the camera, that's not a scare that lands. And like. I, yeah, I, th- like, I think it's a thing of like it's not successfully scary, but I do love all of those goofy over the top bits. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's it's just it, it's one of those things where like it's super ambitious, and half mm. of its scares really land for me, yeah. and half of them just come across as like fall flat and end up really campy. And the thing is, I love campy horror, and oh, I yeah. love proper good like sinister horror yeah i mean honestly like the, the campiness sort of makes it 
don't know. I like that this movie doesn't. It's almost like when um, the Wachowski sisters were making Jupiter Ascending, and you just sort of picture mm. them yelling, "All ideas are good ideas." Well, yeah. like, you know, and and this was definitely just John Carpenter. It's it's like a, a haunted house, but done very very well. Where it's like all of the the goopy things, you know, sort of leaping out to yell at you, like it feels at home with me with all of the atmospheric stuff he's trying to do and it doesn't quite work but it makes me very fond of it yeah mm. no this is it like i i i love it i love it almost for its failed ambition mm. and like yeah and the fact that there are a lot of moments that like again it's really good it's really good at building the atmosphere yeah but definitely. also so really that, like... good at kind of just shattering the atmosphere yeah, exactly. Well, and also because it, it builds to that at the end of it, this is maybe one of my favorite horror endings of a movie like this, where, you know, it's obviously, what, I mean, this is fully two years before Scream, John Carpenter doing, you know, meta horror, where, um, you know, they've obviously, uh, you know, you find out that in the Mouth of Madness, like, oh, no, I'm actually a fictional character, and I've been written this whole time. And also, you know, as almost as a punchline, they're like, well, the movie's coming out next week. Um, and after everything goes totally shithouse uh, and the world is burning, um, Sam Neill just like bops on down to the local Cineplex and watches In the Mouth of Madness starring Sam Neill. I love that the line, by the way, that made it into the end of the movie is Sam Neill at the psych ward yelling, I'm sorry about the balls. The balls. <laughs> it was a lucky yeah. shot. <laughs> like him, him screaming sorry about the balls after kicking a dude in the balls. It's it's just it's just exquisite. Uh, but, you know, you get him sort of scream laughing at his own, like at the world's demise, which feels very 2020 to me. Yeah, like I feel like it's one of those endings where like it's like, I really like this ending, but also I remember that the very first time I saw it, I was like, what the fuck? Is that it? <laughs> yeah. Like, also fair. Because it feels quite abrupt, and like it's very much only going away and mulling over it that I'm like, no, actually thinking about it, I do like that ending. Yeah, yeah. I think it's it's one of those endings that it's almost, for how bombastic I want to say like 80% of this goddamn thing is, I, there's almost no ending for me that could have been big enough for me to go, yes, that's the logical that's conclusion. The that's that's kind of like it for, for, for me. I'm like, yeah, that is the right ending because there isn't an ending that would have felt like sufficient yeah like yeah like what else would i want to do like sam neil gets eaten by the band guar like i don't know <laughs> uh, yeah i don't know how how big i would want to go with it but yeah um so looking at our list goddamn so let's start with uh, the last movie uh we just talked about uh at number uh 54 uh prince of darkness also by johnny c uh, which which do we think is better, Prince of Darkness or In the Mouth of Madness? I preferred Prince of Darkness because I think it, it drew me in better. Like, I was clapping my hands and giggling less, but I was much more engrossed in Prince of Darkness than I was in uh, The Mouth of Madness. Mm -hmm. I love In the Mouth of Madness more, but I think Prince of Darkness, for all its ridiculous Satan goop, is a better horror movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I th I'm inclined to agree because I think that uh, both of them now for me, it's almost they're almost like photo negatives because Prince of Darkness is like entirely uh, John Carpenter, you know, sort of uh, cutting a promo and trying to do as many different new weird things as possible where um, in the Mouth of Madness is it's kind of stapled together from a lot of stuff that's already there where 
it's mm. sort of H.P. Lovecraft crammed into a Stephen King skin suit and given John Carpenter's mustache. Yeah, it's like I feel like I feel like the Apocalypse trilogy is really good as a way of viewing John Carpenter because they are three mm. of like his, I would argue his three most ambitious movies, mm-hmm. and like so you get like you get the thing which is John Carpenter very much at the height of his power. Tr- like really pioneering, pushing, like trying new stuff, absolutely nailing it, and being completely unappreciated. Oof. You have like you have then you have Prince of Darkness, like mid eighties, like John Carpenter. He, like he has like he, he's just on like he's rolling. He's he's fully in in the 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 middle of his career. Mm-hmm. He and and he's very much just like taking bong rips and being like. <laughs> what the fuck is the deal with quantum physics and then like you have in the mouth of madness which does feel like it's his last swing at a really big movie Mm -hmm. like a really like Mm. ambitious thing and like it's it's the early 90s it's kind of past where he excels and he's bringing all his like filmmaking baggage from the 80s into it and like trying to do this love letter to cosmic horror but can't quite nail it Mm -hmm. it's i think it's it's a really i think it's a really good triptych in that sense i think i think so too and i think like john carpenter i i almost get the impression that like you know like you watch like escape from los angeles or you know any the stuff that he made after this and it's sort of like i mean honestly can you imagine being john carpenter and making the thing this goddamned masterpiece and then you drop it the same year as et comes out and Mm. everybody just goes nope we don't like that shit and it just tanks and like you know that you've made this thing that nobody was into although it it really interests me and like i think is a very paints a very specific and very interesting portrait of john carpenter that i get the sense that he kind of has as little time for the retrospective massive cult status of the thing Mm. as he did for like it absolutely flopping like it really feels like he went to make a cool movie did his best work like did like did his best Mm -hmm. and then everyone said it was shit and he was like oh that's that fucking sucks and then suddenly everyone's like this is the best thing ever made and he's like is it (laughs) he just said it was garbage and like I know. We just we just, we looking, just kind of filmed a bunch of stuff. Looking up from his Jack in the Box taco. What, sorry, you guys, you you like that? Like, yeah, that's gonna and be like, exciting I, to find I, out later on. I feel that like I, I get the sense that he's almost just as baffled by both responses, mm. uh, which to me f- feels quite true to his filmmaking style, which is just like we're just making a movie. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like this isn't you know. I mean. Prince of Darkness is him going for it and trying to do a higher sort of art thing. But even then, like, it's still just John Carpenter making a movie where Satan, like, people vomit Satan into each other's mouths like baby birds with tubes in their, (laughs) like, stomachs. Like, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's fantastic. Now, honestly, oh, it's very splooshy. Um, Going down the list a little bit. So at number 56, uh, the other, uh, the other of the Sam Neill loses his shit trilogy. Uh, although I guess maybe the Omen Three should be in there when he plays Satan. Um, I is not seen uh, that. Event Hor- oh, does Sam Neill play Satan? Oh man, no, it's actually incredible. Um, in uh, the Omen Three, he plays Damien, but he's the president now. 
Um, so he's the he's he's President Antichrist, and it's you get a scene by the way of Sam Neill like just verbally abusing a crucifix with Christ on it, and it's it's just. <laughs> As wild as you, wow! Is it just like you, as, son of a bitch? <laughs> yeah, he's just completely. It's as wild as you think it in. It is. It is. It is wilder. Um, but so, Event Horizon versus In the Mouth of Madness. I'm. I think Event Horizon. I think. I think Mouth of Madness is lower. Personally. Yeah, yeah. I got to agree. I, I think um, Event Horizon, at the very least, like. I don't know because that was literally Hellraiser in space, which is actually not the same thing as the other Hellraiser in space, which yeah, was the Hellraiser one. three. Yeah, oh no, Hellraiser yeah, four, yeah. Bloodlines. Yeah, I was getting. Oh confused. yeah, Bloodlines. Yeah, which is in 18th century France and also space, also very. Oh, I, I love it. They go to space so fast in that franchise. I've I, Hellraiser. I sat down, watched all of them at one point. I love that series. Uh, mm-hmm. You know how many times? Uh, turns out the protagonist was dead all along. It is more times than you think. <laughs> <laughs> it really is a, a series that rewards sitting down and just shotgunning all of them on a lost oh, weekend. Yeah, like the, the 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 later ones are bad in the best way, uh, and yeah, like honestly, I love I love number four where it's just like okay, into space. Like we're only four movies in, but we're already in space. To be and fair, then, think, oh I no, think... the spaceship is the Lemarchand configuration. Yeah, <laughs> like, oh, it's awesome. Why not? Yeah. Yeah. Although, honestly, uh, Hellraiser on the internet, I feel like, is for me where the series peaks. Where it's like, Lance Henriksen mm-hmm. is there, and also, what if Pinhead was on the internet? Which is, yeah. Um, so, Event Horizon, I think I'm putting it above, uh, I'm putting above In the Mouth of Madness. Right below Event Horizon is uh, Psycho Gorman, which is a... I need a, to see um, that. I need to see oh, that. Y'all. You, you, I... you specifically would love it. Yeah, no, I, I'm, um, I'm absolutely certain I would. Like, it's what you know those movies. Do you ever have that thing where you're like, you're so certain you're going to like something that you lose all motivation to actually watch it because you're just <laughs> like, I'm going to get around to it at some point and I'm going to love it when I do. There's no, there's no like urgency to it. Yeah, this is like how we feel every time that I remember that that game is coming out where it's what if you were uh, a literal uh, stray cat in a cyberpunk world run by robots <laughs> and like I'm excited about it when I remember it and then I utterly forget about it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so Psycho Gorman obviously is a, a you know a pastiche of a bunch of different stuff. It's basically Harry and the Hendersons, but gore. Um, and I feel like I want to give the edge to In the Mouth of Madness because Psycho Gorman is a pastiche where In the Mouth of Madness is almost like John Carpenter being like at a party full of people that are just five years younger than him, and he feels weird about it. Yeah, um, making a late '80s movie in '94. Um, yeah, it's, in a way it's, that really comes through for me where like it made, you know, it's yeah, I kind of can't think of a lot of movies that pull off the thing in the Mouth of Madness does narratively in terms of both doing meta horror and then somehow pulling the camera back farther and going more nuts with it. Yeah, like it, it again, I think it's getting so many points for ambition. Yeah. Um, like because like it, it's fascinating that like I, I'm looking down this I'm looking down this this big old list i'm seeing a lot of stuff that i'm like oh that's actually uh like that's actually like a really good movie mm-hmm. but they tend to be quite like self-contained if that makes sense they, they tend to be like quite sort of we tried to do a small thing and we successfully did a small thing uh whereas in the mouth of madness is like no we tried to do the biggest fucking horror movie you're ever going to see and a lot of it fl- flopped but yeah, yeah, it's, but there's so much of it that there's like a tremendous sense of value almost. Like, yeah, that there is that, there is that. 
And like yeah. special mention to Linda Starrs' contortions. Oh yeah. man, let's that, that one effect. That, that scene. Do you guys want to talk about that scene, by the way, real quick? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, I, the the bit where she tries to make out he's writing me, he's writing me. Which <laughs> Yeah, I just the fact that it, so it's like Sam Neill's escaping in the car. Um he's grabbed Linda, who's fully possessed, but for some reason he decides to still try and save her. Mm-hmm. Um and he pulls up on the outskirts of town to I think get in a payphone. Um, is it yeah it, it's it's payphone or payphone it's adjacent st- i think yeah and he's he's kind of r- running around on the road and then linda's head pops out at the bottom of the car door mm. like she's doing a fun scooby-doo gag um <laughs> and Spoiler, then the rest of her not a fun scooby-doo well, gag it's no no the rest of her body follows and she's doing a sort of upside down crab walk and then her entire head rotates Ah, <laughs> uh, it's like again, one of the one of the scares that properly lands, like yeah. very mm-hmm. effective scene. Because she's still talking all the way through, yeah. so you can't tell where the effect ends and the person begins. Yeah, it's yeah, and I think that so much of this is like John Carpenter is a good director in the way that like you know you watch the thing the the, the scene with the severed head that sprouts the the crab legs and scuttles away. Mm. Like John Carpenter is really great at shooting it in such a way that like a much worse director it would just look like all right well that's a fucking goofy mask on somebody where like the way it's shot like it is genuinely goddamn unnerving just watching her limbs move like that. Mm. It's it makes me think like weirdly it, thinking back to the the. The failure of the of the like tunnel gooey gonna get you scene. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think so much of it actually comes down to the creature actors, and I think that's that's something that is actually often under underappreciated in this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Like well, that because the motion of contorted Linda is so uncanny, and there's a very specific like. In in the bit where all the monsters are chasing him, like the trouble is there are a few monsters you can see in the background quite clearly, like running like dudes trying to be scary. Mm-hmm. Like they are their their special effects are amazing, but their motions are so normal. So like just like a person. Just a that, bloke in a rubber suit. Just a bloke. It feels like a bloke yeah. in a rubber suit, and like, and it, it's it's. I think the same with the basement, uh, the basement monster with the the axe. Like the the effects, uh, like the effects are like maybe they're there, maybe they're not, but the motion is is so canny, you mm-hmm. know. Like you yeah. can have the greatest effects in the world, but if the motion is canny, if it doesn't if it doesn't properly look slightly inhuman at how it moves it, yeah. it's not gonna it's not gonna land and your brain that's... your brain recognizes like oh that's some dude just wandering around in a rubber suit I was gonna say, and, and i think like i think the like the skill of creature acting is massively undervalued in um like in movies like this especially in horror Definitely. I'm, I'm thinking of in uh, A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2 where they were like, B- uh, Bob Shea from New Line was like, Robert Englund wants too much money to reprise his role as Freddy Krueger. Whatever. Just find any rando and put him in the makeup and it'll be fine. And then they realized immediately like, uh, maybe we actually do need a real actor for this. I mean, it's, uh, it's like, it's why Doug Jones <laughs> is like, like the, the monster actor, you know, because he yeah. is 
He has slightly strange, slightly gangly proportions, and really knows how to move those proportions in not immediately human ways. And so, like, like, yeah, fucking like seventy percent of the best monsters of the last twenty years have been Doug Jones, and it, it's yeah. His his physicality, yeah. yeah, it really he really does make everybody like oh he makes it look easy to look like an ectomorphic, uh, uncanny nightmare, yeah, like yeah, and but, it's it's I and I and I do and it, like I think actually in the Mouth of Madness is such a a great lesson in how not having a good enough creature actor can undercut like literally millions of dollars worth of special effects. Yeah, don't be the goofers yeah, in the greenhouse. Yeah, that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the fucking the dude in the greenhouse. Oh, yeah, the and like earlier they would be like, ah, oh, a thing moving <laughs> with arms like snakes, and you're like, oh, oh, that sounds pretty scary. And later you see it, and it's like, ha ha. <laughs> you see, you're like, oh, that's yeah. oh, oh no. Like if like if Gilbert del Toro was just like whatever, get somebody's <laughs> nephew to play the pale man in Pan's Labyrinth. Yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Like, I've got hands on my eyes. Just <laughs> like it, it is, it is so much like if the pale man moved in a "I'm gonna get you" kind of way, rather <laughs> like than your, like, like your uncle who's trying to scare you at six years <laughs> yeah, old. Yeah, no, exactly. Like... And that's and that that and yeah. So I, th- I think Mouth of Madness does really serve as a lesson to how how a. a not great physical creature actor can absolutely just chuck all your special effects in the bin. Definitely. That's, yeah, it's, a, you know, acting, controversial take. It's important for a movie. I don't know. Like, oh, I wouldn't go that far. Like, I, Well, yeah, sorry, I, mean, I, don't mean to, I don't mean to tell tales out of school. Um, so I feel good about that. So coming in at our new number 57, above Psycho Goreman and below uh, Event Horizon, is In the Mouth of Madness from 1994. I also God like damn. it because they're so close that it feels like it does feel a bit like it's it's the two of them as a as a group. Like it feels like the thing oh, yeah. up top, and then it's like the apocalypse trilogy down at the sort of the mid fifties. It does feel like a really cool way. It's like a demarcation of the list where I'm like, all right, and here's the Sam Neill section of the thing where there's you know you can sort of group yeah. everything together. Like that's definitely a double feature for sure. Um, Ben and Johnny, I, thank you guys so much for coming on. Uh, where um, do, do you have anything you'd like to plug, or where can listeners find you on the internet? Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at, at Ben R L Meredith, um, and I also do streams with my brother uh, on Twitch.tv uh, forward slash The Brothers Meredith, uh, and also uh, have some Rusticle podcasts, which aren't the Magnus Archives of Rusticle Gaming, uh, a Pathfinder actual play uh, if you're a massive nerd, and also I do an improv uh, comedy sci-fi podcast with my brother called Stella Firma. Yeah, um, I am obviously a horror writer. Um find my work the Magnus Archives uh, Rusty Quill uh, and my first uh, horror novel 13 stories uh, S-T-O-R-E-Y-S uh, is out now uh, available on ebook uh, and uh, if you are able to import it from the UK in hardback um, and also I uh, myself and my partner Sasha uh, we write uh, tabletop role playing games as MacGuffin and Company uh, which you can find at mcguffinandcompany.com. We currently have a Kickstarter live uh, for a group of uh, system-neutral micro-settings, which are like weird, small role-playing settings uh, with like short campaigns that are just kind of really weird. You can run a casino in Atlantis or hunt ghosts in space. 
It's a lot of fun. Yeah, you, uh, you can you can open a portal to Christian Hell if you just go through a wormhole. Uh, well, no, there is one uh, where you are some really bad nuns uh, guarding a pit to hell in Ooh. 1970s south of France. Well, that's fantastic. It's it's yeah, like it's. I'm really excited. It's <laughs> live for. It's still going to be live for the next few days if you're listening to this on the day it comes out, uh, and if not. Have a look. It's called Odd Jobs, uh, and you can find it uh, either by googling Odd Jobs on uh, Kickstarter or by um, it should be a link uh, at mcguffinandcompany.com. Fuck yeah! Um, Rankin Vile listeners, as always, you can find us on Twitter, uh, constantly shitposting at Rankin Vile Cast. Uh, we are on uh, Tumblr at Rankin Vile and on Instagram at Just Rankin Vile. Um, we have a Patreon full of uh, bonus content if you're uh, into such a thing. For uh, the low, low price of $5, you can hear uh, the, the other host, Quincy, and I talking about Sylvester Stallone movies, which is pretty much all we want to talk about right now on the Patreon. Um, but yeah, we are. Uh, if you want to reach out and drop us a line and request a movie, you're going to want to drop that uh, in an email to rankinvilecast at gmail.com. Uh, but that is about all I've got. Have a good week, folks. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.